Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Bomb Man Podcast. I'm Matthew Osipchuk of the Bomb Man. Thanks for watching. I'm going to continue talking today about the new creation, something we touched on last time. And specifically today, I'm going to delve into the existence of God and what it means and what our responsibility is towards acknowledging that he exists. If you've been trained in Western philosophical methods, you might have read Plato or Aristotle, maybe Rene Descartes and Bertrand Russell or even Nietzsche. Uh, it's fascinating reading and certainly it's worthwhile if you, you like to study. But interestingly enough, the Bible contains some verses that alleviate us from the need to have to read these men's diatribes on whether or not God exists or what the meaning and purpose of life is. In 2 Timothy 3.16, God's word says that all scripture is God-breathed. It's inspired by him. It's inerrant. The doctrines are perfect and come from him. This is really important. What it means is, is that as we read scripture, we know that God is speaking to us. Well, if that's the case, and he's designed his word to communicate to us things about his character and what he expects and how he's interacted with human beings over time, certainly there must be some sort of uh, essay in there or defense of his existence. And interestingly enough, you find that is not the case. There is really very little where God defends his existence. And there's a reason for that. God expects us to acknowledge who he is. Listen to this. Genesis 1.1 starts like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Check that out. He just starts by saying, in the beginning, I created the heavens and the earth. That's a big, big statement. And there's an assumption there. There's an assumption that we already know that there is a God. And there's an answer to how God can assume that. In the book of Romans, Paul uses this language when he's communicating what God wants us to understand about our acknowledgement of who he is. We know he exists. We know from two different sources. We know something internally, and we know something externally. Internally, what can be known about God is made known within us. We know who he is because we have this conscience. We have this thing that sets a standard for us. It tells us when we've fallen short. It is an amazing evidence of God within us. It cannot be explained any other way. An evolutionary theory to explain this falls utterly short of being sufficient to explain why there is a standard, why God holds us to this standard. It's known within us. Externally, we can see his invisible qualities clearly in all the things he's made. He holds us to account as we walk around and we see, touch, feel, smell. We interact with the environment and the things that he has made. He makes it certain in this passage that that is proof that he exists. And there is no theory, again, that is sufficient to describe the complexity of creation outside of him. We have no excuse to deny him as God. 
when we move on from that, we can then start a question process that I think is fair, and that's, well, if there is a God, then why is life the way it is? Some of us just accept life for what it is. And we say, oh, well, that's life. You know, move on. I see that some men rage against their own existence and the existence of others. And then you have others who philosophically devote long tomes on meaning and purpose, trying to discover what reason we have for existing. It seems to me obvious that life is like this. Man is born, man lives, he laughs, he loves, in some cases, he suffers, and he dies. And some of us get to experience in our lives the finest things, and we have great relationships, and we live what we consider a full life. Others do not, and they only experience pain and disappointment. But one way or another, all lives end in death. And this should be a problem for us. In fact, it is. And it doesn't seem to matter whether you're one of the wealthiest or the weakest. We all suffer from this quandary of trying to determine why life is not perfect. So let me go back to Genesis 1-1 for a second. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, if he created it and it was good, which is exactly what it says after that, every day as God was creating, he said, and it was good, and it was good. God created this and it was good. But then something happened. Something happened to cause all of those things that were good in creation and perfect and in harmony to not be good anymore. Sin. Sin is what did it. Sin infects the entire creation. It infects us like a disease. It is deep within our hearts. It causes us, by our own free will, to have a tendency towards doing things that are not in God's will and instead pursue our own interest and our own fleshly desires, as the Bible puts out. It, it is the problem. It's the reason. It's the ideology for our suffering and why lives end with death instead of eternal joy and comfort. So we're, according to the Bible, all sick. That's why when Jesus came, and he was challenged by those who considered themselves righteous. He said, it is not to the healthy that a doctor needs to tend, but to the sick. And why Jesus came to heal the sick. He was talking to us. We are all sick. We are all sick with something that causes us to be separated from him. So we need the cure. We need the medicine. He is the cure. And you might not have heard this before, but his spirit is the curing agent. His spirit is the third person of the Trinity. 
the Holy Spirit. It's, it's kind of an interesting thing because it leaves you wondering if we know the diagnosis, which is that we have sin in our lives, and we know the treatment is to come to God, be reconciled to Him, and have the Holy Spirit. What holds us back? Why aren't we all seeking this treatment to fix us? It's hard to admit that you've fallen short. Pride seems to me to be the most likely obstacle and the most potent obstacle for men to come to God. It's in admitting that we have fallen short. We've missed the mark of what he desired for us. Once God indwells us with his Holy Spirit, he can begin his work in us. And just as an indwelling catheter can carry medicine to course through your veins and eradicate disease, the Holy Spirit will indwell you once you have come to a place of acknowledging that you've fallen short and that sin is corrupting you. But instead, you want to be perfected and He will see it done. Anyone who acknowledges this is immediately given the cure. And the cure is 100%. It's a 100% success rate. It's a slow process. And certainly we will never experience in this life the perfect harmony that we eventually will in heaven. But once we are indwelled with God's Spirit, He begins His work. Remember, he's the author and perfecter of your faith. And the first thing that happens with the Holy Spirit is he seals you. And this is a very important concept. When you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, it's a sign that you have become his possession. It's a sign of his commitment to you that nothing can separate you from salvation in his name. Neither death, nor life, nor things in the past, nor things that will occur in the future, nor height, nor depth, or anything. There is nothing that can separate you from the Holy Spirit once he has indwelt you and you have been saved. Be clear on that. Understand your eternal security is God's word to you, and it cannot be taken away. Nothing can snatch you from his hand. He is God. He will give you a new heart. He's going to get rid of that heart of stone. And he's going to give you a heart of flesh. He's going to take all your sins and bury them down with his son. And you will start walking new with him who was resurrected. He's forming a people for himself. He's creating a people for himself so that we may live in harmony with each other. We may love each other perfectly. We may praise and worship him, and he will love us in his perfect kingdom forever. This is the work he is doing. That's then. Now, we see through the glass dimly. We can't quite make it out, but 
we see that it's there. Then we will see him face to face. Now we see in part, but then we shall know him fully, just as we are fully known. I hope today as you listen to the song that I've attached to this podcast, you start to understand that God is known. He deeply desires to know you and for you to know him more fully and to come to a full knowledge of the truth. I hope you enjoyed that and you like the song. Take care. God bless. Trust your Father in heaven.